2: Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the stage for the Slacktivist Action Group, Mr Andy Parsons! (laughs) Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. For those of you who listened to the podcast last time, you'll know that we were talking about the junior doctor's strike. Now, I did go on the doctor's march... Because it's very difficult to get to see a doctor these days, isn't it? (laughs) There were bloody hundreds of them there, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And since then, Jeremy Hunt has imposed this contract on the junior doctors because he said uh, he was worried that there was 20% more chance of you dying from a stroke in hospitals at the weekend. Now, the medical establishment have rubbished those claims, saying that the main reason that it's 20% more likely for you to die from a stroke at the weekend is that actually tends to be only the most serious cases of stroke get admitted at the weekend. Some people don't even know they're having a stroke. So for those people, right, they tend, if they're not sure, to wait until the Monday, because if you're not sure if you're having a stroke, you tend to wait until the Monday so as you can take a day off work. Yeah. (laughs) And you're certainly more likely to wait until the Monday now if you've heard from Jeremy Hunt that you're 20% more likely to die if, in fact, you go into hospital. (laughs) But it's not just that, is it? The junior doctors, they're nervous the way that health service is heading. This idea that private providers can provide things more cheaply. But the thing isn't it, it's not worked out for the rails like that, is it? The trains, we subsidize them four times as much now, although we no longer own them, when we did, in fact, own them. Yeah, so I think that maybe in a few years' time, we might be quite cross. Instead of an ambulance turning up to take us to hospital, we find there's a replacement ambulance service. <laughs> and we open the door to find two blokes in jogging outfits with a stretcher, the 118 118 ambulance service. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and
2: now we've got Virgin, haven't we? Getting involved with various GP clinics. Virgin trains have had so much public money, it shouldn't be called Virgin, it should be called Slack. <laughs> And when they trot out, don't they? They trot out all who are Britain's best-known businessmen. They often trot out, don't they? Alan Sugar, Richard Branson, Philip Green. Now, Amstrad was disappointing. Virgin trains are disappointing. Top Man is disappointing. If you'd followed our three best-known businessmen, you could quite easily be using a computer that didn't work on a train going nowhere, looking like a prize asshole. <laughs> And to those of you looking at me slightly blankly, right, maybe you're not quite sure who exactly Jeremy Hunt is. Now, if you want to know what he looks like, right, if you see somebody defending the government against the junior doctors on telly, if he looks a bit like a weasel on a stick, okay, that is the man, right? If he looks like a mutant stick insect who's been brought up by meerkats and had his head fashioned by them into a hedgehog pincushion, that is Jeremy Hunt, And that is merely for purposes of identification, right? That is not just gratuitous personal abuse. (laughs) Because people say if you resort to personal abuse, you've lost the argument. Not necessarily. You could just be having a bit of a laugh because if Jeremy Hunt remains in charge of the NHS, that may be your best chance for the best medicine. (laughs) (laughs) I had in fact, did get a chance to go and see a doctor. And I found out they've changed the number of units of alcohol you can now drink. I found this out because my doctor said to me, he said, how many units of alcohol have you had this week? And I said 12. And he said, oh, well, that's not bad. The maximum is now 14. And I thought it was bloody lucky I saw him on the Monday. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome, without any further ado, our panel for tonight, Margaret Hodge MP, Philip Collins, columnist of the times, Shappy Corsandy, new president of the British Humanist Association. Thank you. So so Margaret, you were the chair of the Public Accounts Committee, the Scourge of Big Business. We've just had Google in the news, very much so. Um, for those of you who may have seen that Google uh, have been a uh, derisory amount of tax. I believe it was described as over the last 10 years they've been... Made. It can be quite good fun to go on Google, put in Google Tax Avoidance UK <laughs> and watch it incriminate
3: itself. <laughs> but what did you make of it, Margaret? Uh, I thought it was a derisory settlement. We interviewed Google. We interviewed them twice on the Public Accounts Committee the first time that we interviewed that guy, Matt Britton, who was very laid-back, without a tie, really self-confident, he basically said to us, of course we avoid tax, that's our business model. Uh, The second time we interviewed him, I think he so outraged people that the second time we interviewed him, we had um, a huge number of whistleblowers who told us about what Google do. Google uh, Say that they don't sell in the UK. They sell into the UK. And because of that, they don't pay tax in the UK. They've got just a very small um, bunch of people here in the UK who are supposed to help them. What the whistleblowers showed us, we had two fantastic whistleblowers. One had worked for Google for five years. And when he left Google, he downloaded absolutely everything that had been his job for the first five years and he showed us these sales plans selling in the UK he showed us invoices they'd invoiced in the UK he showed us the marketing strategies he showed us the lot and it was absolutely clear from the evidence he gave us that they're selling in the UK the other whistleblower that we used was a guy who was still working for the Google when he came to see me and he brought with me his wage slips and less than 50% of his earnings were his uh, monthly weight salary. The rest, more than 50%, were the commission he got, and he got a commission on sales. So armed with that, we interviewed Google... I think we proved, and I still to this day think, that they, their model that they claim they have, that they don't sell in the UK, is not true. And what I just don't understand is why on earth HMRC and the government don't actually take them to court to prove that it's wrong. On the actual settlement, if I just may a bit, 130 million quid, Eric Schmidt, who is the chairman of Google, that 130 million quid was the tax that they thought they ought to pay the UK. For uh, 10 years' worth of money, they've made billions out of us here in the UK from the advertising. Eric Schmidt, the guy who runs Google in America, in five years paid himself 176 million pounds. So in five years, he earned more. Than Google paid in tax to the UK. And the, we're their second biggest market. The intake
2: in the of breath there from the Slacktivist Action Group, they're horrified. <laughs> absolutely horrified. They'll all well,
4: be beyond Yahoo or
2: Lakos yeah, tomorrow. A
3: problem. But, <laughs> but no, the, we'd
2: all love to negotiate our taxes, wouldn't we? That's you know, they're supposed to be the law, aren't they, HMRC. You're not supposed to if you if you got stopped by a police officer and they asked to put your hands in the air, you wouldn't go, Well, how about one finger? Maybe two <laughs> fingers and an elbow. Yeah.
3: You was know. outrageous. Yeah. Well,
5: Amazon, you... can I just tell you the Amazon? Yeah, yeah, certainly,
3: yeah. Amazon was <laughs> quite funny. I never watched myself on telly, but I think the Amazon dick was quite funny.
5: You should, you look magnificent.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Amazon I used to buy stuff on Amazon. I don't anymore. But when you buy, I hope none of you do here. If you do, stop buying from Amazon. Um, Amazon, you get from them emails. And all all over the email is amazon.co.uk. I read it five times on the email they sent me. And then when you buy something, it gets sent to you from a warehouse probably outside Slough. Uh, And it comes in a Royal Mail van. And it comes with stamps with a Queen's head on it. And what are they telling you? They're telling you they're not selling in the UK. They're selling you all this stuff from Lux- Luxembourg. It really does take <laughs> the biscuit. And um, again, when when we have confronted them with that, they've just all they've got is the server in Luxembourg. That's all they've got. So uh, when you find e- e- the invoice comes to you from the UK somewhere, the worst thing with them is they, again, make billions out of all of us selling to goods here. And the year that we looked at them, which was... they paid something like £2.4 million in corporation tax. They got from the UK government £2.5 million in a regional grant to build one of their warehouses, where they employ people on terrible conditions. This moves us on to the
2: the big four, all of the the consultancy companies.
3: Don't get me started.
2: not, Not the big four, but the... You know, we we basically we employ these people to help us frame tax legislation and then at the same time they're then inviting private companies to come and look at the the legislation they just framed and showing them where the loopholes are. It's absolute madness. If there's loopholes, they should be tightening the loopholes rather than going, hey, look at what we've just done. Yeah, there's gaps all over this. There are.
3: (laughs) Uh, We interviewed the big four. That's PwC, KPMG, Ernst & Young, and I've forgotten the last one. Deloitte, is it? Deloitte, Deloitte. We interviewed the big four. They make... Pub quiz. they, (laughs) They make £2 billion a year. They make £2 billion a year from giving tax advice. And there's all sorts of terrible things about them. But the worst was this guy from KPMG who had gone into the government... To write the technical rules, this is what it was explained to me to support the legislation. Because of course, although I'm an MP, I haven't a clue when we pass this legislation what it actually means. He so he'd come along and written the te- technical rules, and it was a it was it's really a sure, it was, it was it. a tax. Check <laughs> Get a laugh. <laughs> but the, it was a thing called patent box tax relief, and this tax relief is supposed to encourage people who have new inventions new patents to trans to turn them into um, turn them into economic activity real businesses with real jobs and real growth he wrote this stuff he spent 18 months in HMRC writing the legislation the moment he leaves he goes back to KPMG and they produce a brochure with him as the figurehead saying patent box what 's in it for you and it became a massive avoidance scheme so bad that both the European community and uh, the European Union and OECD are now shutting it down. And the worst of all these tax reliefs are terrible because every tax relief becomes an opportunity for tax avoidance. And the worst for me was actually a story that Phil's paper brought to me, which was around charitable tax relief. So we all tick the box on gift aid. We all think we're doing good. But there was this one guy who ran... a a business called N.T. Advisors. Come on, everybody. N.T. No tax. No tax advisors. And he ran it from a... um... I'm looking at the National
2: Trust even differently now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He ran it from a tax haven, and he put something like... He was the sole trustee of this trust... Run from a, a run from a tax haven. He put about 176 million quid through this charity. A lot of money. He gave one grant for 15,000 pounds to one youth project. He claimed 46 million in charitable aid tax relief.
2: I, I want you to know, Margaret, that I pay my tax. Good. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Thank you very much.
2: I did have a problem, though, because I was trying to pay it by debit card, right?
0: So,
2: and, and it's too was, much. Well, no, they said, Mr Parsons, you can't pay it by debit card, they said, because there's a limits in place to prevent fraud. And I said, well, obviously, you, we know it's not fraud because we spent the last five minutes verifying I am who I say I am, right? And obviously, you don't think it's fraud, do you, because you keep referring to me as Mr Parsons. <laughs> but also, in the whole history of fraud, has anybody tried to defraud anybody else by paying their frickin' tax bill for them? <laughs> But surely the secret is, Molly, isn't it? We, what we should make sure is that no government department, no contracts go to any of the companies that actually
3: offer tax avoidance services. I agree. I think there's all sorts of. I mean, we, we've got to renegotiate the international tax rules, which I think the government is doing in a half hearted way. But there's a heck of a lot we could do. That, you know, for example, every pound you spend on just employing somebody in HMRC to follow tax gets you £18 pounds in. The HMRC own up to £34 billion between what, they, what is owed and what they get. Tax campaigners put it at £120 billion. So even if you take a figure somewhere in the middle, we're talking about big money, and every year HMRC writes off £5 billion as uncollectible and they hide another £10 billion that they know they won't collect in their accounts. So we're talking about megabucks. I can see absolutely no reason why we shouldn't know what happened in those negotiations between Google and the HMRC.
2: Philip, let's move on to you. You used to be uh, Tony Blair's chief speechwriter, I believe. And what what do you make of of the current Labour situation?
4: Well, it's going very well, isn't it? (laughs) I think it's going absolutely swimmingly, I think... um to be about 27% in the polls was pretty much what they were aiming for. Well, um, the, it's probably the summit of Jeremy ambition. Corbyn,
2: obviously, very popular with, with the new members. He's doubled yeah. the membership. But personal popularity, the lowest of any Labour leader ever, minus 39. And yep. a, a popularity figure in the minuses, it's never good, is it? <laughs> no. it? It seems that almost like imaginary people think you're shit as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's...
4: It's the lowest there's ever been on record, and it's inconceivable that you can come back from there and be Prime Minister. It just simply can't happen. But he is very popular with the members, that's is true. Is he popular out that, here? That's definitely true. Is he popular?
2: Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that they're, they're a sample audience, this
4: lot. <laughs> but that's the point, actually, about the members, because they're not a sample audience either. No. You can, there are 400,000 people in the country who still think Elvis is alive, and if you gather them all together... <laughs> I'm really sorry to break it to you.
2: And he doesn't pay his tax either, (laughs) ladies and
4: gentlemen. (laughs) I'm a... One of my first days in politics, by my boss at the time, Frank Fields, the only funny thing he ever told me, he said to me that, I don't know why he told me, but the first thing he said to me when we met, he said, um, I've got a really interesting thing for you. He said to me, and I've still never worked out why he told me this, he said, if the number of Elvis impersonators in the world increases over the next 20 years, at the same rate as it increased over the last 20 years, then one in four of the world's population will be an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> He left it at that. He never explained <laughs> <laughs> He never explained why it was this significant. But, but I've always remembered it. Um, but there's 387,000 people. It's 0.3% of the electorate. It's a tiny group of people. And if you're all like-minded, you can reinforce each other with the idea this is a mass movement, but it's not. It's just an internal membership. And it's therefore an illusion that, therefore, it's, you're just going to translate into, into electoral victory. You're not. And most of them, a lot of the new Labour members, that's not what they joined for. No. They're not bothered by the analysis that says, you're not going to win the election, because that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is, is expressing something about themselves, which is that we believe this sincerely, and they do, and this man embodies what we think, and we prefer that to the compromise that you inevitably get lost in, in trying to win in government and then being in government. So they, they are living a purer form of politics.
5: It's like being an Aston Villa fan. Yeah. That's the only well, that... joke I've for Not even as good as that. I met I think Jeremy Corbyn is brilliant with young people and I know that because I was a fan of his. Now I know he's not um Did you Robbie Williams. Did you vote for him? Did I vote for him
3: to become our leader?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I can't. We'll be answer. asking you the
2: same question shortly, Margaret. No, so.
0: no
5: I didn't. <laughs> I, I can't answer that without disclosing what Whether you voted what rippling attention deficit disorder I have where I thought... It cost you three pounds. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. I would have if I'd got my shit together and knew how to fill in a fucking online form. Really sorry.
2: Democracy is going well.
5: When I was 24, I did this um, theatre project with homeless young people who'd left care or prison, Right. And I then, because of that, gave a speech at the National Conference for Youth Affairs because at 24 I was still a youth. had one year left of youthness. I forgive everything of people under 25. Over 25 are all the same age and you're a dick, if you behave like a dick. So Jeremy Corbyn was in the audience and uh, he came up to me afterwards and he was so kind and so sweet and absolutely thought that I was one of the homeless young people (laughs) who had been helped by this project. Now, after that, I met him many times at various benefits. He always remembered who I am, and in my head, I was the little matchstick girl. To the point that I was on question time with him fairly recently, and he said, well, it's marvellous to see that you're doing so well. I've never had the heart to tell him that I I haven't left prison. (laughs) Can I make a serious point, You certainly can, yes. Because I represent... <laughs> 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 um, I was serious.
3: I represent uh, Barking and Dagenham, which is one of the poorest places in the country, with the highest unemployment, with desperate need for decent homes at a price people can afford, with a real concentration of people who are uh being hit by the bedroom tax and are being hit by the benefit cuts with absolutely every ruddy problem in the land that you can think of. And what really absolutely riles me is that the members of the Labour Party don't give a toss about the people embarking in Dagenham. They need a Labour government. Whatever Labour does, it'll be better than what the current Tory government is doing to them. And to have people self-indulgently... Uh, ensuring that we won't get a Labour government in 2020, 2025, and and, and thereafter until we put our act together, is just a total betrayal of the people I represent in Barking and
2: Well, you know, obviously they are, they are hopeful, the, yeah. the the Corbynites, that they will. I mean, and they've got some nice ideas, I and mean, they. They, you know, well, it, I mean, the Fault whole idea S- about... Falklands P- really, P- really P-
3: matters to... Falklands yeah. really matters to the people of Barking Duggan?
2: Well, I, I appear to be d- d- defending things that I, I don't really know <laughs> that much about. But, um...
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I'm willing to so give it a go, on, ladies and gentlemen, on. for the slack action group. Go on, but, what, what were the, what the nice ideas? Well, I mean, the Prime Minister's questions. this idea that, you know, too macho, you shouldn't be Downton Abbey Sea CBeebies. That's the, you know... It should be more nuanced. Than that. it's a nice idea when it's he was nice actually idea. suggesting yeah. questions from people that sent them in. The only trouble is now that he's kept on doing it. The slight worry is that he's only asking for more questions from the public because yeah. he can't actually think of them himself. That's the you know. Yeah. And you, once you've had a question asked by, you know, you say, oh, this one's from Amy from Swindon, and they they then come back. What you really want to know is what Amy from Swindon thought of Cameron's answer because he
4: asked such a good question. Precisely. It's too easy for for Cameron, this. It's so easy. It's essentially to say, would the Prime Minister like to say anything about housing? And the Prime Minister... When you've been Prime Minister for a long time, you know a lot. You're really well briefed. And Cameron just sails through. It's really easy because the tough thing comes in the follow-up questions. Mm. And that's the skill of being in that gladiatorial conquest. And Cobin's no good at it. But why should he be good at it? Because he's never been in politics all his life. He's been in protest. He's n- you do not find somebody languishing on the back benches for 30 years who turns out to be a totally unbidden genius. It's totally inconceivable. And you just suppose that someone who's been in the fourth team for... For ages, suddenly can play for Aston Villa and get them up the league table. It's <laughs> a nonsense. He, you can't. He
2: did get he did get rattled though Cameron last week so much so that he said, you know, well, I tell you what, my mother would say, go and get yourself a proper suit, do your tie up, and go and sing the national yeah. anthem. And the thing was, it, he, he was what well, he was saying there, wasn't he? he? Was saying that's what his mother, yeah. that's what his mother thought. But he was obviously what Cameron thought himself. He was he turned out to be this horrible, yeah. horrible traditionalist. Well, and you'd be you thinking, well, you might as well True. have continued, you know, well, why don't you just stand up straight as well, look at me when I'm talking to you, and if you think anybody's going to trust you wearing a beard, you think again.
4: Yeah, yeah, all, all of which probably goes down well. But the other thing about parameters' questions is that nobody's watching. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. And so reading out emails from Lucy in Swindon, it's immaterial. The things that matter, really, are how do people look on your party and think, are you going to run the economy okay? Or are you, as a potential Prime Minister, someone who I could place my trust in? And on both those questions, which have predicted election victories every single time there's ever been an election, Corbyn is so far behind the Conservatives, it's embarrassing. Wait a
5: minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, you can't dispute those. No, no, no. It's not my fault, it's true. No, no, of course it's not your fault, but... Are you sure it's not your fault? Okay. Lots because of people think it is my Labour's fault. Labour's yeah. defeat was so absolute. There was no sort of, hey, but we've got this... It wasn't close, so they had someone shiny and new and mm. able to, to come in. What Corbyn did and, and what people who stood behind Corbyn wanted was fresh air. He breathed fresh life and went back to the idea of hope. And Labour is rebuilding. It's rebuilding. And he may not ever become Prime Minister, but after that election... After that election, people attached themselves to someone who they felt expressed what they morally felt the core beliefs yeah. of, a, of the leading left wing party I, should be. I agree with that. And he it was yes. hope. He's yes. not a deity, he's yeah, not no, a shiny, suited I agree. Suited I agree.
4: That's exactly, that is a, a very good account of what happened. I, I wish I'd stopped right. three
5: seconds before because yeah. then I might have got a question time's. report. Applause. Uh, <No, no, no. laughs>
2: Oh, alternatively, go on for another three seconds and mention the fact you didn't. It seems to work
4: lovely. <laughs> but, but they're not building hope. That's the only bit where I don't agree, because they're, in fact, not building at all. Because parties always get a boost after an election, and the Labour Party's gone backwards. The Labour Party has retreated, so they're going downhill. And it's really, really hard to see how they, how they return returning. it. What, what, the... what
5: do you think? Because I'm, I'm not an expert like you guys are. Where Where would you... If you... But the the point is surely that
2: that people are are making the comparison with Michael Foote. And that is not a comparison you no. want people to make. Michael Foote, most people don't remember who he is, but if people yeah. do remember, they just remember him as a bloke who wore a duffel coat who looked a bit like Paddington. Yeah. And what, what you don't want is the impression to create if you're trying to become Prime Minister, is it? Is some sort of hairy, incompetent, non-human immigrant. No. But
3: actually, Michael Which Foote... Which is
2: why Foote. it's amazing Boris Johnson is doing so well Michael at the moment. Foote.
4: <laughs> but Michael Foote was a person of incredible distinction. It was. Uh, he was an amazing journalist, yeah. a brilliant writer and an a man of, of, real, of real stature. Yeah. Uh, Corbyn is not. Corbyn is not an intellectual. Corbyn is not a curious person even. He's not even inquisitive. He has the same views he had 40 years ago, and they were boring then. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's well, not,
3: the other, the other thing with Michael Foote, just to put the record straight, is Michael Foote voted to uh, engage in the Falklands War. So if people yeah. have a wrong image... Can, again, <laughs> bring it seriously, I think it is Labour's fault that we voted yeah. up with uh, Jeremy Corbyn. But it is really hard. It's really hard, and maybe some people here have got some ideas. What do you do as a left of centre party um, at a time when there's no money around and there's a deficit? It is incredibly hard. Tax companies properly. Well, you could you could do one of the things I learned in the last five years is you could get more money in a tax, and you could run. You could be more efficient about how you spend money. You know, I came across the most terrible. Am I allowed to tell the story?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
3: Um, defence equipment. Know. <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing about defence. I thought it was all boys' toys, and then I suddenly realised how much money we were spending as a nation on it. And I came across this thing. It was a Labour. It was a Labour government initiative. They're both as bad as we're both as bad each other on this, but we commissioned two aircraft carriers um, to replace the Invincible. I think they were called the Invincible carriers before that. Uh, And we commissioned them in about two... We decided we were going to have them in 1998. It only took us ten years to sign the contract. We signed the contract because Gordon Brown wanted to save jobs in Rosythes, not because we needed the aircraft carriers. There was absolutely no money in the defence budget, not a penny. He knew that. Everybody knew that. They signed the contract. Within six months of signing the contract, they discovered, surprise, surprise, there wasn't any money to... To pay for it. So they paused the contract, but they had to keep in place all the infrastructure up in places like Rosyth and the people. And they paused it for 18 months. That 18 month pause cost all of us in this room £1.6 billion. Uh, and just actually getting a hold of the inefficiency, I'm so full of stories like that, but getting hold of that would actually release money which means that the left could start doing what we believe in, which is investing in those key public services that equalise life chances and make us a more... Yeah, Margaret, one of it.
4: the things that I, I'm really critical about Jeremy Corbyn about, and I used to be a constituent of his, when I was young, I was in his local party, and I used to go to the meetings every month, and, and he would come and he'd oh, do it. Yeah, I know, and he'd, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't waste my evenings. Um, and he'd do a report every month about what was going on. At no point in the three or four years we're there did he ever mention Islington North, which is where we were. There was a lot about East Timor, a lot about the Vietnam War, funnily enough, but nothing about the services locally. He wasn't interested wasn't what fired him up. He was interested in, in foreign policy affairs that he had no influence over. So after one thing, we, we sent on hes- headed notes paper from Islington North Labour Party a stiff letter to the United Nations telling them off about East Timor. And do you know what? They didn't even reply. And we were outraged that the conflict didn't appear to end the next week.
2: And, and it, it was East, so pointless. East Timor were very cross with what was going on in Islington North, I well, heard, but uh... Well,
4: they probably knew more about it. <laughs>
2: But the, the reason they have a go at you is the, the idea that the media is against yeah. Corbyn. And you know, well, certainly they well, I'm had, not. No.
5: But he, <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't sound like you are. <laughs> well, I'm
2: allowed to be. But he, he has been described as the most dangerous man in Britain by the right-wing tabloids. Yeah, and well, you look rubbish. at him and you think, that's you know, he's this pensioner, yeah. vegan, pacifist, atheist cyclist, the most dangerous man in Britain? <laughs> he's in trouble if there's a lorry turning left and he hasn't yeah. had his vitamin B12 yeah. supplement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't regard him as dangerous. I think, I think that's, that's absurd, because yeah. I, I don't think there's any chance of him, him becoming Prime Minister. So, And even if he did, I, I wouldn't describe him as dangerous, because I don't think he'd actually do much in the event. So I don't, I don't think any of that. Um, what annoys me about him is that the Labour Party could win the succeeding elections and won't win, because it's not being serious. And I don't blame Jeremy Corbyn for that, because he has the membership with him. I think I'd, I'd echo what you said before, it's all, Sheppy, that you implied that the other candidates that were offered were pretty uninspiring, and that's, tr- that's certainly true, that none of them were able to capture any sense of hope or articulate anything interesting. So
2: that's If only we knew true. a Labour MP with verve, commitment, yeah. who wanted to, you know, make sure companies <laughs> paid their right worth, had oh, loads of stories to yeah. inspire
4: the nation. Exactly. <laughs> I know, if only we could knew one of those. I, know. I know.
2: So, shall we let's move on to you. Congratulations on your new job, President of the British Humanist Association.
5: I'm Chief Human, and we should
2: clear up what humanist means, perhaps for those people. Because un- it's a slightly weird word, isn't it? Humanist. It's all pro-human, rather. If you compare it to like sexist or racist, it sounds it might be against humanist. <laughs> humanist, isn't it?
5: <laughs> yes. I think maybe some people in it are a bit humanist. No, it's um, the humanists are an organisation who, uh, the British Humanist Association, who. Um, campaign for the secular voice to be heard in society and and don't, well, don't, mad, don't, don't, don't regard not having a religion as being exempt from morals and values and philosophy and um yeah so that's and that's you've what had what some the
2: campaigns current campaigns loads of success judge ruled recently that atheism and humanism had to be taught as part of religious studies. This
5: is the interesting thing, because people are like, how can you teach atheism? And it's it's not, it's talking about atheism. Well, it is quite a
2: short lesson, you'd have thought, wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Come in, hello, there is no God, same time next week.
5: (laughs) Yeah, and a student like me would be like, oh, my God, I'm going to take up atheism. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, because when I was at school, I felt quite excluded, because... I remember saying, ''Oh, my God,'' and teacher said, ''Ew, he's all yours, Is he? Hmm. And whenever people talked about religion, I'm just, <laughs> I know! Hmm. And you had to... And Brownies was a waking hell, because I didn't know it was a religious organisation, and I wasn't religious, and my family wasn't. And I'm a sort of quite a gentle atheist, because the more robust atheists are the ones I find who were raised with a religion... And then had to fight against it. And I think they're very interesting because they're the ones who are really like, my parents are are wrong. And that's a sort of head... head, uh, I keep swearing tonight. I don't know why. It's because I've got no vocabulary. (laughs) But I was raised in a, in a secular family, and, um, which some people think, oh, it's amazing that your parents didn't raise you with religion. It's just great. And it wasn't great, because, like, I was eight years old, my hamster died, and I said to my dad, is he in animal heaven now? Because that's what the teacher said. Is he in animal heaven? My dad goes, no. He's in the ground. <laughs> and worms are eating his eyes! So... <laughs> it was it was a bittersweet thing, with science and and reality. But the the other the other thing is my parents did to an extent have to reject a religion because my mum saw uh, the uselessness of religion in a crisis. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever mentioned this, but I'm originally from Iran, and. <laughs> and they uh, lived in Iran, my grandparents, and they had flat roofs. And when there was an earthquake, there were frequent earthquakes, and everyone, for some reason, ran run to the roof. In L.A., they stand in doorways. Maybe that's why more people survive. Anyway, um, that and the money they had, never mind. But my mother has told me the story of when her baby brother was an infant, just about two or three months old. There was a massive earthquake in Tehran, and they went up to the roof... And my grandmother, who was deeply religious, put her baby over the side of the building and called to the prophet Abolfez and said, Abolfez, catch my baby. And my mother would have been about 12. And to this day, she goes, I don't know how my legs got me there that quickly, but I ran to my mum and I grabbed the baby. And my mum was always baffled because she said, of all the prophets she could have called upon. She called upon the prophet Abul-Faz, who had no arms. (laughs) (laughs) So, for my mother, at the age of 12, it's like... Religion is not for me. So, and then when you're a child, you're you're raised, or oh, 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 all of us, all of us are raised with this thing of respect other people's beliefs and religions. Respect them, and you're like, okay, okay. Can, and then, and then you don't get an a say. You don't really get a say in anything, you don't have
2: a... Nikki Morgan, the education secretary, has decided to go against what the judge said, decided that you could ignore, schools could ignore this advice, because she, she is her opinion, that Britain is mainly Christian. Well, Although over 50% of us apparently now say we have no religion at all. So, But we can even say that we're multi-faith, could we? Because atheism is not really a faith. You don't have people, you know before each bedtime, kneeling at the end of their bed for five minutes to say nothing to nobody.
3: Yeah.
5: It... Oh, no, I mean, I'm a proper atheist. Yeah. At night-time, I lean against my bed and bang my head against the headboard a few times. But Nikki Morgan, she's interesting. <laughs> 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 Is she? People are making up their
2: own jokes in the audience.
1: <laughs>
5: you just told yourself a joke yeah. that uh-huh. you hadn't told, you hadn't heard before. Um, no, when she um, came into the priesthood, wh- whatever she does, uh, education, education secretary, <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually said, um, I aim to serve the Conservative Party and my Lord. Oh, my so God. So she, she... Yeah. She's a a. Oh, yes. Look oh, yeah. it up. Google it, don't Google it. Use another search she engine. Was, she was
2: also the one who said, didn't she, she said that when Labour went in power, a third of uh, primary school children left without being able to read or write. Turned out it was 9%, and the only person who was really struggling numbers was, in fact, the education sector. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, she was trying to make it um, illegal to investigate faith schools. Because their, their admissions policy is crazy. Like, for, I found this out through British Humanist Association, that they have Catholic schools that have decided that to be even more exclusive and say that if you were ordained, not ordained, baptised in Poland, that didn't count. And it's their way of
2: keeping the <laughs> police people <dribble> up. <laughs> you, you've also had some success in making sure that creationism isn't taught uh, as part of the science thing, and uh, you know evolution is now got to be taught in yeah. primary schools. Mm. I mean, creationism, obviously, the, you know, the old idea that we're so amazing that there has to be a creator, you know, the humanists obviously teach that we are amazing, but obviously if you had to redo the human blueprint, we might make a few changes. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of the appendix... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get rid of hiccups.
5: Yeah. Tonsils.
2: Certainly not put the, uh, the male G spot in the same place as Pooh. So, uh...
5: <laughs> is that where it is? I've been yeah. looking for it. Like...
4: We're all learning
2: tonight, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. We're all learning.
4: That, that suggests there is a creator, just one with a really cruel sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the, uh, the person you described. I was the one who was brought up in a religious household who, who kind of found atheism my own way because I'm very distinctly an Anglican atheist. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not just any old atheist. I'm an atheist of the Church of England, so the god I don't believe in is that one, very precisely. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about the other gods. But my God, I don't believe in him at all. And so I, I went through that whole thing of going through the church. But the, the Church of England is a slightly peculiar institution anyway because you don't know, have such a thing as a lapsed Anglican. That's like the starting position. Mm. Uh, and the, it's yes. a very dilute sort of faith, and it's quite easy to give up on. And even when you've given up on it, they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Just come anyway. Mm. It's, it's a sort of social club.
5: They, they are like that. We yeah. welcome the non-believers. We oh, They're so nice. And they're they are cake, they're so nice. And it people. irritates you
4: more in a way. Yes.
5: <laughs> were your parents OK about you deciding you were an atheist? Oh, or, yeah, or
4: yeah, yeah. They, they didn't mind they. at all. Yeah, exactly. They were like, look,
5: mate, yeah, yeah. be honest, we don't eat. Well, either.
4: they, they <laughs> thought that they slightly were. They slightly were. And that, then they split up and my mum decided there was no God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, on that it's note... It's happy story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, did, you also got a chance to, uh, to go over to... Um, the refugee camp in Calais. At the uh, I saw you interviewed on Victoria Derbyshire. It was a very, obviously been a very emotional experience oh God, for was. you. Um, it was in quite quite an emotional experience watching Victoria Derbyshire because there was you having a little sob about it, and there was a, a bloke who was struggling with his a lorry driver at the same time, struggling with his Skype connection, and a lady who was on a ten-second delay from the Calais camp oh. itself, and a temporary presenter was going, "I'm not sure I can be dealing <laughs> with this."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: That they the Syrian guy they interviewed, they said he she asked him like 3,000 times and he answered 3,000 times. he kept saying, Why do you want to come to the UK? and he kept saying, There's very nice people. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, mate, oh, mate, you're so media not savvy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to the jungle. Could you tell I was crying? Oh,
2: it you? was very emotional for 9 30 in the morning, yes.
5: Yeah, oh. but it,
2: it, you know, I I couldn't.
5: I was in Birmingham. I get I get emotional. No, it was it was really sad. We I... all get
2: emotional in Birmingham.
5: I went with an organisation called Help Refugees. They're, they're basically a bunch of mates, uh, Dorno Porter and her friend Liliana and, and her other friends that, that sat around going, this is shit, what should we do? And they tweeted, what should we do? Let's set up a, a donation fund. And they raised stacks of money. And these girls are out in Calais, just, they've built a warehouse, they've got staff there, and all their volunteers there are just terribly posh British people, all of them about 20. And they're brilliant and they're incredible. If you want to see British values, go to the Calais jungle and see what people are doing there to help these these, um, refugees. And there are unaccompanied children there. I met a 12-year-old, I met a 10-year-old, I met a 16-year-old there without their parents. And there's a woman called Liz Clegg who uh, worked at Glastonbury and she's salt of the earth. Um, sort of kind of hippie, and uh, she was at Glastonbury, she went, oh, flipping it, loads of wellies here and loads of ponchos, I'm going to get myself a van and drive them to Calais. And she's ended up looking after the children, and she's looking after this little boy called Jamil, who's 12, and every night he, he escapes, and he tries to get on a a train in life, and there's neo-Nazis that lie in wait to, to duff them up and all this, and this little boy in the interview, we're, sitting, we're talking to him and he's got this lighter, he's so traumatised by the journey over and everything else, that he's just like trying to set fire to the tablecloth, he's trying to set fire to Liz's trousers, I'm like going, I'm sorry, I'm a bit PC, is, is this alright? She goes, oh it's alright darling, if he actually sets me on fire, he does put me out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 ah. So if, if people would like to, you know, stand up for you know saying that refugees are welcome in this country, um, there is an anti-racism march on March the nineteenth. I know the route. I did it with the doctors. We are going. <laughs> it starts off in Portland Place near the BBC. BBC broadcasting. I was a very sensible place for for a march to start. Any lazy journalist looking out their window, what are all those people doing? Oh, <laughs> we'll go and film them. So it starts there. Anybody who wants to come along? March the nineteenth, midday. Turn up and uh, people can express their you know solidarity with refugees. I shall be in the P- Horse and Groom pub on Great Portland Street, midday. Um, little sharpener. Anybody who wants to join me there? Please do, and we will go and do another march. So. Uh, I don't know if I'll be trying to persuade our panel to come along afterwards. Uh, also, anybody listening to the podcast who actually wants to get people involved with stuff, feel free to get in contact via my website, andyparsons.co.uk. And, uh, you know, if you've got any questions, obviously, that you would like to ask any of the panel at any point, please also get in contact. Um, next panel, I should just tell you at this point before we go to questions for this audience, next panel is going to be, it's on uh, March 28th, Easter Monday. Yeah, not easy to get slacktivist excited by a bank holiday, OK? But there will be free Easter eggs. So you have to get off your arse, but there will be free chocolate. So it's a, it's a slacktivist dilemma. We are going to have Sir Ed Davey, former Energy Secretary, former Lib Dem MP. We'll also have General Secretary of the Union Equity, Christine Payne. And we will also have ex-Director of uh, Labour Communications and stand-up comedian, Aisha Hazarika will be here as well so uh, get in contact for that but now it's your opportunity ladies and gentlemen feel free, you've been trying to get in all the time to ask your questions, anybody now got a little question for the panel? Yeah. This is my chance to do the David Dim would be. you, 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 not you, you
3: <laughs> <laughs> He has cushions underneath him. Is
2: that right? Oh, yeah, we're, getting, we're finding all about it now. Yes please sir
3: You,
4: you talk about um, the members of the Labour Party that have taken over the Labour Party as you see it and uh Um, controlling it in ways that are unimaginable to you. Um, But do you think that there is um, blame to be laid at the feet of yourselves um, for the way in which our politics currently represents its electorate and five million-odd people represented by two MPs at the last election compared to 37,000 people representing the Tory MPs? Um, and that maybe some of the focus should be turned on looking for electoral reform and proportional representation to make sure that outliers feel that their voices are heard and don't feel the need to push back
0: um, by clubbing together when they realise they've got That's friends. That's a
2: hell of a good question for a selectivist, ladies and gentlemen.
4: I've always been in favour of electoral reform, so I agree with you. Yep. Yes, I think the, um, we don't represent people correctly. I think we present fairly uh, untrammeled power to a real minority, and that's been, the Labour Party has been a beneficiary of that, and I thought it was wrong then, and the Conservative Party is a beneficiary of it, and I think it's wrong now. And you have to take your own medicine with that, which I do, which is to say that a lot of people voted UKIP, and yet they got one Member of Parliament, and much as I deplore everything that UKIP stands for, again, I think that's wrong. I don't think it reflects the, the, um, the impulse of the country. So I do... Um, Advocate electoral reform. Yes, there's also a lot of blame to be to be sprinkled around in the Labour Party all the way. I don't. I don't make the mistake of blaming the members, and I certainly don't blame Jeremy Corbyn. That's an absolutely absurd thing to do when you want to try and persuade people to come around to to your point of view. I understand the appeal that Jeremy Corbyn had for the Labour Party. I think it's a false promise and I think that will become clear. But I don't abuse them for it. I think there's all sorts of blame of what happened prior to that. And I think the last Labour the last Parliament, the Labour Party, offered something really unappealing to the British electorate. And I think that's a big part of why the Labour Party has got into what I regard now as a serious mess. I can so-
3: come back on Philip at that because I the last, you know, I, I I I voted for David Miliband, not Ed Miliband. But Ed Miliband did start a discussion, which I thought actually was—I mean, never saw it through. But talking about, you know, uh, I can't remember the terms he had now. But responsible a, capitalism. Responsible capitalism. Yeah. He had all the, but they were—they were the beginnings of ideas, really. And yeah. I, I, you know, I say I don't think he was. Convincing leader, but he was beginning to talk about ideas which I think the Labour Party, and I'm, you know, I'm an absolutely tribal Labour, um, have failed to really start thinking about. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. So, in a way, I thought that his time as leader was a time when we were able to start thinking up new ideas about what's a left of centre party look like in a global age where there isn't a lot of money. I
2: mean, that was quite a long question and a couple of quite long answers there, so that's Sorry. pretty much all we've got time for for questions today, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, we have that, got was time. Deliberate. that was well, deliberate. It, we, have, we have got time, probably, for one, one last question. Have we got... Anybody else got a question? Yeah, would you... Lay it down the front here. Would you like to... Uh, yes. Here we go. <laughs> oh,
5: um, this is quite an important <laughs> question. This is and it's and a 29th February. A surprise. <laughs> 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 um...
1: Here I'm we normally go. very
5: disorganised and I have been all day, but I've managed to get here and he's now bursting for the toilet. For
2: those listening on the podcast, a lady is on her knees on the front row, not addressing the panel, but addressing to the blank she came with.
5: Um, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say, Will you marry me? <laughs>
1: Thank
2: you. <laughs> can we... um, we're, we're all cheering. He's kissed her, but he hasn't actually yeah. said anything yet. I will.
5: Yeah. Can I ask you something? Can, can, can we do you a humanist wedding? Yeah. <laughs> With pleasure.
4: Andy, I want to know which member of the panel that question's for.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us your names. What? My name's Karen. Karen, and your name is? Phil. And obviously, February the 29th, you, you have to wait uh, supposedly four years. It never seems fair on the ladies <laughs> having to wait for four years. I always think February the 28th on the other years, wait until midnight and just go for it would be my. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, don't wake them up. That may not be the best idea. But, but congratulations. Thank so you. How long have you been together? 12 years. 12 years. So <laughs> right, it's been a while. <laughs> Phil, Phil was a bit slow there, you've got to be honest, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You weren't sure. You're never sure, are you, Phil? You're never sure. Well, how brave are you, madam? Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's it. I want to give another round of
5: applause.
2: (laughs) That that is incredible, isn't it? You know, it could have gone so badly wrong. That, didn't it? You've got to say, asking someone to marry you at a comedy gig is not necessarily. (laughs) the most straightforward. We've all learned something tonight. It, it's been in, in my opinion one of the best panels we've had. I'm sure we had lots more questions. Please get on get on social media, find out exactly Feel free to ask more questions for the next time round when we've got the guests I've already mentioned. But until then, if you get a chance, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, please spread the word, get the word out there. The Selective Action Group is happening. Come along to the Anti-Racing March. But before we do, please give it up for our three wonderful guests tonight, Shabby Sandy, <laughs> Philip Collins and Margaret Holt. Good night and good luck.
1: for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.